Here we are, guys. We are now into the last week. We've been at this since August, and here we are, chapter 14. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. And with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, Jesus said. And you, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. And while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those sitting around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. 
Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is God's word for us today. Let me pray while you take a seat. Lord, we thank you for God's your word today. Speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive from you. You guys, I'm so excited to introduce to you. For some of you, it's an introduction. For others of you, it is just a welcome. Mark Foreman, the man, the myth, the legend. Now, for those of you who don't know him, you're about to find out why we're all applauding and why we love him so much. But I will fill you in a couple details. Number one, Mark was the lead pastor of this church for 30 years, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine for two decades, really, a long time. And uh, I'm so excited. When I looked at this passage, I just was so thrilled about Mark being the one to teach it to us. So you guys are in for a real treat. Let's welcome Mark yeah, Foreman. Thank you. You guys are way too kind. Uh, you're taking a big risk, uh, allowing me up here. Uh, so good to be back with you. Missed you, genuinely missed you. Uh, you know, I realized that uh, Christianity was not meant uh, to be done alone. And uh, even though Jan and I were attending other churches and traveling, um, I missed our home community here, and uh, it's a word to all of us that uh, Christianity is not a me like our culture is today, um, where all the, the things that connect us are lost. Uh, Christianity is a we, and we need each other uh, to push each other along. So I've genuinely missed you. Um, so grateful for Ryan's leadership. I've run into many of you. Uh, I've tried not to sneak in and see what's going on, uh, for, both for Ryan's sake and, and the sake of not engaging me, in, and, uh, but I'd run into some of you on the rail trail or the beach or the market, and it was always so good to hear what God was doing in your life and all the good things about Ryan and the staff, uh, and it's all that we could ever hope for, uh, because it, if you haven't looked in the mirror lately, there's a 100% chance that we're all going to die, right? And, uh, and that's why children, that's why grandchildren were passing it on and, and so forth. And Christianity's made that way as well. So just so thrilled about Ryan and um, uh, appreciate the time that you blessed me with to get away. And then over the months to come, I'll share different things that I learned. But um, it was really refreshing for me to wake up every day, not as Pastor Mark, or not as Leader Mark, uh, but just Disciple Mark. That's my, my goal was to get out of the boat and follow Jesus day by day by day, and, and to journal what I was learning and, and so forth. I'll share some of that as time goes on. But all that to say, good to be back. And uh, I have to warn you that uh, I am out to convert you today. <laughs> I was on an airplane uh, quite a while ago, and uh, the gentleman sitting next to me 
you know, you're always looking for opportunities to share Christ. And the gentleman sitting next to me asked me what I did for a living. And I told him, and it was silence, which is what I often get out in the surf lineup, uh, because they, they usually backtrack to see if they've used any cuss words or what, you know, just. <laughs> and so he broke the silence again, and he says, so are, are you going to try to convert me? And I thought, wow, that just says it right out. And, and I thought, what do I say? And I, and I try to use verbal martial arts when I'm uh, talking to people so they don't get what they expect. And, and so I, I, I said, oh, no, I only convert Christians. And uh, so I knew that would not sit well with him, wondering what does that mean? <laughs> And finally, he broke the silence again to ask me what that meant, (laughs) which led not only for me to say that, you know, we Christians are always growing and re-deciding and learning and and getting reconverted, but also it led to sharing Christ with him. So all that to say, I'm out to convert you today (laughs) because Christians, and I include myself in, in picking ourselves, we, we come through this door of decision, and we kind of have the attitude there, got baptized, made the decision, and, and then we go on back to our everyday lives, and we don't really relish and consider the weight of impact of Christ on our business, on our marriage, on our neighborhood, and so forth and so on. And with that, sometimes we get so stuck, we actually need to be converted. Thank you. (laughs) But you'll notice there was only one. (laughs) So, that said, uh, the, the, the title of the message today is The Door of Decision. And I want you to go through this door today. While on sabbatical in October, archaeologists found the literal, what has been historically called the door of decision, but no one knew where it was. The archaeologists found it in Assisi. I've been to Assisi, this ancient town that uh, St. Francis grew up in, came from, and he went through a radical conversion. St. Francis, as you know, was a very wealthy young man growing up one of the wealthiest boys. He, he was said to have been one of the most vain uh, boys in Assisi, had everything that he wanted. And then when he came to a knowledge of Christ, he started selling some of his dad's stuff and giving it to the poor. You know, think about that. <laughs> Can I see your wallet for a second? I, I, care, I care about that guy over there, and I want to use your money. So he was called before the bishop and his dad was outraged, and he realized that uh, he had to make a decision. Was it going to cost him, or was it just going to cost his dad? And as the story goes, he took off all his clothes. Uh, The bishop was so embarrassed, he gave uh, him his robe, and he made a decision to follow Christ wherever and to live a life of poverty helping the poor, and um, hearing the words of Jesus, rebuild my church. And he went out the door 
different than the bishop's door than he went in. He was a different man. And so it's called the door of decision, and it's been found. So today, I want all of us, I've been wrestling with the door of decision for my own life, but I want all of us to be converted today and to go through the door of decision. And to do this, we're going to look at three different lives. We're going to look at Judas. We're going to look at the leaders that put Jesus on trial. And then we're going to look at Peter and wrap it all up, considering the doors they were going through, and bring it back around to the door that Jesus himself went through. And Lord, we need your help for this study to not only hear the words, but ask you to unzip our hearts, to be tender and vulnerable to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first door that we're going to consider is the door of betrayal, the door that Judas went through. And I want to take us back to the words of Jesus back in verse 42 Uh, which precedes our study here today, where Jesus says, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him in verse 43 with the crowd of armed, armed with swords and clubs. So, and horrible thing happened. He goes up to Jesus and says, rabbi, which means my teacher, my master, and kisses him, as you know, as the Middle Eastern greeting. And that was the sign of betrayal. And they took Jesus away. So how does a disciple go from following Jesus for three years to becoming the betrayer and going through that door of betrayal? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. And I want to paint a different picture than you have of Judas. If you notice, most parents don't name their firstborn son Judas. <laughs> it's kind of a bad omen. But think of that name before Judas came along. It's a name after the tribe of Judah. It was a prize name. He probably had the best name of all the disciples of the tribe of Judah, the tribe that the Messiah is going to come from, this ruling tribe. So he's got this great name, and he's also so trusted by Jesus that Jesus gives him the responsibility of taking care of the purse. He was the treasurer for all the board meetings, and he was the one hearing the needs that would come in And he was the one receiving the money from the different people who were, we know from the Gospel of Luke, primarily women who were supporting Jesus' ministry, wealthy women who believed in what he was doing, and he was making the decisions. So he was highly trusted. He baptized like all the other disciples did. He healed the sick like all the other disciples did, and he proclaimed the good news, like all the other disciples did. So whatever evil thing you think about Judas, he didn't have a narrow black goatee that came to a point. He didn't have beady eyes. There was nothing about him that said sinister or distrust him. He was a good fellow. 
So how did he go from being a disciple to a betrayer? I want to draw your attention to a verse found in John chapter 13. And then in John chapter 12, in John chapter 13, it says, since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. So this was the night that they had the Lord's Supper before they went out. uh, And Jesus has already said, John leaned on his chest and said, Lord, who is it? Because Peter had motioned to John, if you read the account, ask him. You know, he just said, someone is going to betray me tonight. And Peter motions to John, and John leans, who is it, Lord? And Jesus says, it, the one who dips with me the bread is the one. And he dipped the bread, and he offered it to Judas. And so John was on the inside of what was going on, and Jesus says to Judas, go and do what you need to do. And the disciples so trust Judas that they think he's telling him to go make arrangements like he always would, financial arrangements. Back in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 4, it says there that one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. This is when the woman barged in, and Mary, it's actually the sister of Martha, she barges in and begins to wash Jesus' feet and anoint his head with uh, $30,000 worth of perfume. And Judas just goes ballistic over this, and he says, why this waste? Uh, This could have been given to the poor, but John clarifies, and he says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself what was put in it. You know, he probably never thought that he was a thief. He probably thought, you know, I'm kind of the trustee taking care of these things. And, you know, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And so this I'll just pay myself back for all the work I'm doing here and so forth. And he justified it. But he was gradually, here it is, going through the door of stealing. This little door of stealing. And it didn't seem like a big deal, but these little doors were leading up to a big door, which is the door of betrayal. It's kind of like a stairway where you're going up a stairway and let's say you're going up to the second or third floor. There's no way you could jump up that high. And there's no way that most of us would sin that much. But when you do it seven and a half inches per step, all the way. The, the last step doesn't seem any bigger than all the other steps. And so he's making his way through the door of thievery to the door of betrayal. And that's the way it works. Decisions count. I don't care what you think about predestination. I don't care what you think about providence, which I believe in both those concepts. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe in freedom of the will. God said to Adam and Eve, you are free. And that wasn't fake freedom. Adam and Eve could choose. What are you feeling like today? Are you feeling pomegranate? Are you feeling orange? Those were authentic 
Freedom choices. And I think God is blessed seeing humanity, 8 billion of us, making free choices. You have made hundreds of thousands of choices in your life already. And no one put your arm behind your back. Say, enchilada. <laughs> Say, carne asada. You know, no one, no one is doing You get to choose what you eat, drink, all these different things. But the higher choices that involve love and morality and ethics, those are also free choices. And God is so blessed when we make choices like the angels do. And he's so grieved when we make choices in the other way. So choices are big. And sometimes we have these little, little choices that we're making. And then finally we get to a big door. Other times you go through a big door, like marriage, or having a baby, or changing jobs. Those are big doors. And then out of that, you have little decisions to make after you've gone through the big... You, you already married him. You can't re-decide that today. Now you have to decide if you're going to be patient and kind today. Because you've already made the big decision. It's a little decision. You already took the job. You don't have to pray about whether you get up today. You took the job. You walked through the big door. Now you have these little decisions to make. And, and yet there's this one where you're making these little decisions and it finally leads to a big door. And for Judas, it was the door of betrayal. I want to read to you a quote from none other than C.S. Lewis. If you've never read The Great Divorce, I encourage you to do it. You know, I always look for a, a thin book that's not very long and a book that's very entertaining. And so this is thin and, long, and, and very entertaining. It's called The Great Divorce, and it's the divorce between hell and heaven. But there's a bus that goes every day from hell to heaven. It's a comedy, uh, but you see yourself in the story as all these people are struggling with heaven and what it's like. But C.S. Lewis says this, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you're still distinct from your grumbling. You still have a choice whether to grumble or not. You may even criticize yourself for being too grumbly. But there may come a day when you can no longer not grumble. And at that time, you have become the grumble. You're not someone who grumbles. You are a grumbler. Judas was no longer someone who might, could betray he was, according to Jesus, the betrayer. He had become this thing. Lewis goes on to say that, there, that this is what hell is made up of. That God doesn't send anybody to hell. Each of us, by growing into what we are becoming, we become the hell that we will live with forever which is really like, ah, I don't want to be me anymore. Uh, well, so what happens? Well, it's these little steps that we're doing. Uh, I'm going to date myself and refer to the matrix. 
those of you that are under the age of, I don't know, eight, 18, probably never seen The Matrix, but um, there's this guy named Cypher, and he's in a restaurant with Mr. Smith, and he's about to betray his buddies, and it's all for a steak. And he says to Mr. Smith, you know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, it's only the matrix telling me that it's juicy and delicious. And then he goes ahead and puts it in his mouth. And I just want to stop the movie and go get a steak when, when I watch it. Because we know what's about to, he's about to betray his buddies. The Lord taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So that door of betrayal stands before all of us. And, and, and we want to stay far, far away from that door. The second door is the door of control. You're still there, right? Thank you. Back in Mark chapter 14, it says, and this is the door of control, Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. And many falsely testified against him. Verse 56. What is going on here? They're looking for evidence. There's not even a crime yet. Jesus was arrested without a crime. I, I can't think of anything more backwards when it comes to justice. How do you arrest someone, say, you know what? We don't know what happened. We don't know anything, but we are arresting you, and we're going to start looking for something that you might have done wrong. First of all, it was illegal for the Sanhedrin to meet at night. Just like you can't have a kangaroo court in our system. You can't, we're going to have this secret meeting that nobody else knows about, nobody else can hear what's going on, and we're going to decide. It's a kangaroo court. Secondly, you're looking for evidence. For what? We don't know. But when we hear the evidence, then we'll know what the crime is. And so they're going through these false testimonies. The te testimonies don't corroborate. And finally, uh, the, the frustrated high priest says to Jesus, all these people are saying things about you. What do you have to say for yourself? You don't answer in a kangaroo court. He just stays silent. And finally, the high priest says, Answer me directly, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And next time you see me, buddy, <laughs> buddy is not in the Greek. <laughs> next time you see me, I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God, coming in the clouds of glory. And the high priest rips his clothes open and says, blasphemy. Is, do we need to hear anything more? We found the evidence. We found the crime. This is the door of control. The door of control has a set narrative. 
of the way things have to be. And they have to be this way because I am in control and I will not lose control to anybody else. It's the Machiavellian mindset. Sadly, it's sometimes, regardless of parties, it, it can be our own political system where we can't lose control. We are controlling the narrative. There was a great movie 20 years ago called Wag the Dog, where the government is putting out a spin story, a narrative to keep themselves in power and control. And we do the same thing in our own lives. We want to keep control of our life. We'll make Jesus our savior. We'll make Jesus the one who blesses my marriage. We'll make Jesus this, this. But to just let go and let him have control of my life, we think we have done that. But until he touches something that's near and dear to us. I was counseling a, a Catholic couple that was coming in for marriage counseling. This is in New England. And it was a, it was a common uh, type marriage where an Irish and an Italian person were both with a Catholic background, but very fiery in terms of how they're relating to one another. And they want me to do the premarital counseling. And I'm trying to figure out where Jesus fits into all this. And so I asked them, and she was really quite clear that she had converted and made a decision for Christ. And I asked him where, where Christ was in his life, because this was going to tell me where we go from here. And he says, I said, are you a Christian? And he says, of course. What else would I be? <laughs> and uh, which is a typical New England answer. And so I, I said, well, so you believe in the cross that he died for your sins? And he says, why am I wearing this crucifix? I said, okay. So uh, you believe that Jesus can tell you what to do in your life. And he's the boss. And as soon as I used the word boss instead of Lord, because I took it out of the religious context, he said to me, now wait a second. Now, in, when I was back there, they called me Pastor Mock. <laughs> Pastor Mock, come on, let's worship the Lord from our hearts. And, uh, and so he says, now you wait a second, Pastor Mock. If you mean to tell me that Jesus can tell me anything he wants to do whenever he wants to tell me, you've got another thing coming. And I just smiled and I said, bingo, <laughs> now we are getting somewhere. And that's the way you and I are. We think we've surrendered, but we haven't. Wait till you can't have kids. And you're upset with God because you're not having any kids. Or wait till you have kids. <laughs> and you're upset with God because you have too many. Wait till you're married or you're not married. Wait till you, it just goes on and on and on where we've, feel we have a right and entitlement and that's our part in our lives when Jan and I moved to Lake Arrowhead uh, I was 25 and I was moving from seminary to be the director of Calvary Chapel's Bible College for a dollar of $175 a month they're really spending on me you know and <laughs> and uh, we looked everywhere for a rental a cabin to rent, and there was nothing, 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 nothing from 
Crest Line all the way over to uh, Running Springs and all of Twin Peaks and Lake Arrowhead. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I just was so fed up because Jim was going to give birth to John in two weeks. And we were living in a conference center, a motel room. And I just felt like I wasn't providing. And so I took a walk in the 17 acres they have of forest. And I, I yelled at God and I said, I've had it. And, and I said, let's be straight and clear about this. You can touch anything in my life, but don't touch my wife and don't touch my kids. This is what I said to God. <laughs> and I felt this voice back to me with a little bit of a Jewish humor in it. So I'll write already. So what am I supposed to touch? Your Corolla? Your Toyota Corolla? <laughs> That was the only thing we owned, a $700 car. We think we've surrendered until it touches something near and dear to us. And we have not surrendered because we want to be the boss. We want to be the Lord of our lives. And then comes the door of self-preservation. The door of self-preservation is Peter's door. He's walking through this. He goes through these three denials in the text, and finally the rooster crows, and he went down and he wept. Imagine what Peter is wondering. That night where Jesus predicted that someone would betray and Peter would deny, uh, there's not a lot of difference between betrayal and denial. I mean, we give Peter a real pass, like, oh, all he did was deny. Can you imagine if your best friend or let's say your wife says to you, never saw him before, officer. (laughs) (laughs) That feels like betrayal. And so Peter's probably wondering, am I the betrayer? But Peter's Achilles heel was wanting to be accepted particularly by the important people, the religious leaders. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us that Peter was with Paul in Antioch, which is modern-day Lebanon, and they were eating with Gentiles commonly because now in Christ there's no uh, separation between Jew and Gentile. But then religious leaders came down from Jerusalem, the big boys, who eat separate from Gentiles. And Peter excused himself and went over from the Gentiles and only ate with the Jews. And Paul called him publicly out for it. He said, what are you doing, you hypocrite? And he called him out on it. And we get a picture of Peter that even though we think that he's this rough, brazen fisherman who just doesn't care what he wanted to be accepted. You know when you start going through the door of self-preservation and the approval of others? It's in junior high. Think of it. Remember junior high? I want them to like me. I guess that's the tennis shoes you wear. I guess that's the clothing you wear. I I just want to fit in, just want to fit in. And we start playing for all these different audiences. But Jesus is trying to corral our hearts that we would just play for an audience of one the approval of Jesus himself. And so Peter has gone through this door and it's led to denial. 
But eventually, thank God, the story doesn't end there. And you know the rest of the story in John 21 where Jesus invites him to come through another door. Do you love me, Peter? Come on, come through this door. Do you love me, Peter? You denied me three times. You went through the wrong door. Come on, Peter. Do you love me? And he's reaffirmed. And then Peter becomes the man, the disciple that he's been called to be. Well, that leads me in the conclusion of this message to the final door. And it's the door that I want to convert you to walk through this morning. It's the door of the cross. That's the door of decision. It's the one that St. Francis went through, and it's the door that you've already gone through, but it's the door we have to continually go through and take up your cross daily and follow me. To re-decide the decision that you've already decided on because it's the way of the cross that leads to Jesus. Jesus went through this door himself. He's not asking you to do something he hasn't gone through. He in the garden, though he was tempted, he chose the door of the cross, didn't he? And now he's asking you and I to follow him. It's, it's the way to the authentic you. It's the way to the not performing for others you. It's the way to the not controlling everybody else you. And it's the way of not doing the secret sins and, and things in our lives that uh, lead to betrayal. It's, it's the door of true freedom. But it may cost you because you're just caring about the audience of one. So maybe you've been a person who's been making poor decisions like Judas. Come back. Stop it. Doesn't look good on you. It's not the real you. Or maybe you've been like the leaders going through the door of control. It's not the true you. Or maybe you've been like Peter, a man pleaser. The door of decision Jesus calls us to is the way of the cross. To follow Jesus, and it is the way of surrender. Surrendering you is the way to the true you. It seems ironic. It seems like down is up and up is down, but let me say that again. The way to the true you is by surrendering you to Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And the life that I now live is by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's your door of decision. And I want to invite you this morning as we go into this beautiful Easter season, today on Palm Sunday, to go through that door. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you for Easter week that is upon us. And we thank you for the great crowds of Palm Sunday who cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And God, today, we want to pass through that door of decision and follow you to the cross and the resurrection and find our our new lives in you and not apart from you. Forgive us for living secret lives or just petty little sins. Forgive us for being the Lord of our lives and not relinquishing lordship to you and forgive us for ever living lives that would deny that we're followers of yours. This morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed, this is your moment. I'm here to convert Christians. I told you up front. If there's a sense of you needing to surrender while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you, and this is between you and God, to raise your hand and go through your door of decision. Would you do that for me? It's not for me. It's, it's for your own soul. Yeah, put it up high. No one's looking at you. This is just you preaching to your own soul. Jesus, I'm following you. I've decided this is my decision today. Lord, you see our hands raised. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to fall on us afresh and anew to take these decisions that we are making today. Just as you took the decision of Peter to say, I love you. The decision of Francis in Assisi. And now, Lord, our decision that we will follow you. Take up our cross. You are Lord. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.